illuminate the path that you want us to follow for your namesake. God, bring us hope this morning as we look forward to your coming. And Lord, may we in wisdom continually seek you with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. On April 8th, 2024, there will be a total eclipse of the sun. Have you all heard about this? I hadn't until just recently here, but April 8th, 2024, mark your calendars. Somehow people who are much more intelligent and learned in the ways of the universe have calculated the trajectory of said eclipse and it will go right over the top of little Seymour, Indiana. We are, from what I understand, one of the best places to come and see and witness this total eclipse, this cosmic event that's going to happen. We are one of the ideal localities to come and observe it. Uh, Estimates indicate that at the time of the eclipse, like leading into it, that the number of people in Seymour, Indiana will triple over that the course of those few days. Actually, here's a report posted online and, and that ran on the, one of our local TV stations explaining what is to come. We are less than five months away from a spectacular cosmic show, all thanks to Mother Nature. Well, the buildup's going to be bigger than the event, mm-hmm. I think. WDRB's Joel Skipper shows us how one city is getting you ready for an eclipse that will be out of this world, Joel. Seymour, Indiana will be in nighttime darkness when the eclipse happens in April, but the city has been doing a lot of work preparing, all for about three minutes. This is going to be spectacular. We're in that path of totality. The sky will go dark come April 8th, and Seymour, Indiana, and a thin slice of the state will be as well, thanks to the solar eclipse. The city has five free viewing sites people can go to to get the best glimpse, all away from the lights and structures and most trees. We thought it's a great way to get people who are very interested in this together. So you get to watch it with people who are just as excited as you are. The five locations are Shields Park, Crossroads Park, Casting Park, and two locations at the Freeman Municipal Airport. Planning for the event has been underway for a year. One of our main aspects was bringing people out to the airport, not only under their safety regulations because the airport will be open, but also the ability to have people in a big gathering enjoying the event altogether. The last total solar eclipse was back in 2017, the area of totality near Hopkinsville, Kentucky, where thousands of people showed up to look up. Seymour is expecting a huge turnout as well. So many, in fact, the city is working to get more remote cell towers brought in to increase connectivity. More than 60,000 people are expected at official viewing locations. Hotels still have some rooms available, but some are charging nearly $1,000 a night. The city even throwing an eclipse celebration the day before in downtown. We will have live music from several bands. We're going to have lots of food and craft vendors. It's going to have a festival atmosphere. The event will also be educational, a way to learn about the solar system. Our local schools are helping us out. Some of our science teachers are going to be bringing some telescopes from the school that people can actually see the sun in a way that you've never been able to see it before. The city has launched a new website, SeymourEclipse.com, to help visitors and residents know where to go for the best glimpse as possible. So we thought, why not do something big to welcome those people and also to give our residents a way to really remember it. And Indiana has officially... All right. 
So it's, it's funny to me because as you watch that, you see the reality of Seymour, Indiana, right? The reason that they're coming here is because of this amazing cosmic event that is happening above. Let's be honest, as you watch the pictures of all of the wonderful things in Seymour, the reason they're coming is we've got a lot of fields. That's it, right? A lot of open space. And you too, for $1,000 a night, can come stay in Seymour, Indiana to stare up at the sky for five minutes. I thought that was great. And you know, it's funny to me because you all laughed when they said, you can get a room for up to $1,000 tonight. Well, you know how I found out about the solar eclipse? I know that people had been talking about it and it's been on and off over the last several months. One of Robin's cousins actually took off of work for that week and is coming to stay in, in and around Seymour, Indiana and paying those obscene prices to be down here for that five minutes in the sky. We laugh about that and we say, that's, that's ridiculous. Like, why would you do that? But there are those that are just fascinated with what's about about to happen, and you've got to be there. You can't miss this cosmic event that's going to happen. It turns out that many Americans are actually interested in what's happening in the cosmos, and they want to see this great event when it takes place. And, and I, I'm going to venture a guess that that was even more so the case in ages gone by. In our, our modern age of distraction and digital devices with our ability to pull up on our screens and see these cosmological, phenomenological events that have happened over the ages, we can go back and watch it over and over and over again without ever leaving our living room. And so in some cases, we've been numbed to the reality of what is happening in space above us. I mean, again, one of the reasons that they're coming to Little Seymour, Indiana, is that the light pollution is so low that they can move out into the country and they can see what's happening. The fact is, in a lot of cities, you walk around and you look up and you can't see a good portion of the stars because there's so much light and so much going on down here. I wonder, this morning, as we consider the story of the Magi, the wise men, if we would recognize if God were to do something spectacular in the sky and see it as the sign it was, or if we would miss it altogether. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Matthew 2, starting in verse 1. And it says this, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. 
after they had heard the king, they went on their way. As, and the star, the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed on coming to the house. They saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So it's a famous story, right? We, we know it. We, we just sang about it this morning in several of the songs that we sang. That These wise men, these magi, these people from the east see this thing happening in the sky and, and they register with this thing that happens in the stars that something incredible has taken place in the world. And i got to ask you this question. When you go outside at night, do you even look up and consider the stars? And if by chance you do happen to look up at the night sky and see all of the stars, what do you see? What, what is it that you observe going on in the cosmos? And can you connect that in any way with anything that's going on on the earth? It's interesting that that Matthew chose to include this narrative in the story of Christ's birth, that he thought it was important enough to put it in this beginnings of the story of Jesus Christ. Because the entirety of the story of the Magi or wise men revolves around the appearance or the, the, the movements of stars in the heavens. I'm going to be honest. For me personally, most of the time, I don't even see the stars at night. I don't, even, I don't even care. I don't even care to take enough time to look up. Again, the reality of light pollution obscures it. The reality of, of so many things going on with, with text messages and phone calls and trying to get that last message in before I get into the house or into the church or into the facility, trying to make sure that my notes are in order, fiddling and and arguing back and forth with, with my kids, even though they're a little bit older, that doesn't end when they get older, folks. Um, you know, talking to my wife, trying to make sure that I don't turn my ankle and kill myself because I'm 40 and, like, your body doesn't work like it used to anymore and even walking becomes difficult sometimes. You know how it is. All of these different things that go on, that they distract me from what's going on in the sky, and, and I would not have seen the star. If there is anything happening right now in the stars up in the sky, your boy hasn't seen it. Not a thing for me. But in the days before electricity and digital devices, stars played a significant role in the everyday lives of people. There were three things that I want us to consider this morning that stars did for ancient folks. First, stars were a means of telling time. Stars were a means of telling time. Because the celestial bodies move in predictable and reliable patterns, they were and remain an excellent means of tracking time. They, they served as both a celestial clock and a celestial calendar. When certain 
when certain constellations and, and groupings of stars were in the sky, you knew that it was a certain period of time aligning with the season that you were in, but you could see that in the stars. You could know what, what time of year was coming. From our vantage point, we even can use it today, right? The, the, the sun circles the sky every 24 hours while the stars themselves circle the sky in 23 hours and 56 minutes. It's clockwork. Every time it does the same thing. Further, the presence of certain stars and planets and comets in the sky reveal what year or month or coming things. And the ancients believed that they actually revealed cyclical happenings in the course of time. So the celestial bodies served as the most accurate clocks and calendars for millennia. Second, stars were a means of navigation. Stars were a means of navigation. I mean, have you ever thought, like, how many times have you said in a car or walking around in the last year, what, what did we do before cell phones? Right? Have you thought about that? I mean, I know I hear old people talk about it, and I don't mean to be disparaging, but I hear older people talk about younger people and their inability to read maps. Like, when the internet goes out, like, how do we get anywhere? And let's be honest, like, I, I wouldn't know how to get where I was going. It's rare that I go at places that I know that I'm going without jumping online and putting it into my, my map quest to make sure that the roads are clear and that it's the right road to take. I mean, we've become dependent on it. Like, the, the GPS on our phones is crucial before that, we had MapQuest, right? You could get, y'all remember that? You get online and you, you put in the direction, the from and to the two point, and they would print you off a map that had like a little guiding thing that was totally worthless, and then directions turn by turn that were almost as worthless. And, and hopefully, you had someone in the car like Robin who could actually read an atlas and tell you where you really needed to go and what roads were really out there. But that's how we did it before. Well, way back in the day, before all this cartography and before reliable roads and before they, they had interstate systems. They had the stars. And the stars were their means of navigation. I mean, how amazing is that? To have the ability to look up at the stars and planets that are thousands and thousands and millions of miles away and to be able to see a light on the horizon, a small speck of light that has taken however long to get to you, and somehow you can look at that light and know not only where you are, but how to get where you are going. It's an amazing skill. But finally, stars were evidence of divine activity. And that, there are examples of this throughout the Bible, where God uses celestial interventions to assist or communicate with his people. I want to mention just a few for you this morning, but th there are a legion of examples in the Bible where God did something in the sky, did something with the stars, did something with the sun to indicate his activity and his will. We could look back and we could look at Joshua 10, verse 13. And the story, as the story goes, the people of Israel were in the midst of a battle and things were going well. And Joshua's like, man, I need some more time. The sun is supposed to set. God, if you could just make the sun stop for a while, we could finish this up. And God made the sun stop in the sky. 
And according to scripture, God had the sun stay up in the sky for an extra day. God's intervention through celestial bodies. In Isaiah chapter 38, verse 8, we read the story of King Hezekiah, and we, we talked that, about that a few months ago, and God promises Hezekiah, Hezekiah was sick and he was going to die, and God said, you will surely die. Hezekiah is broken in his heart. He prays to God and says, God, please, please save me. Don't let me die. Don't let me die without an heir. And God says, okay, you know what? I, I'm going to relent. I'm going to change my mind, and I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna preserve your life, Hezekiah. And in order to show you and to validate as a sign that I I am going to do for you exactly what I have said I am going to do. I am going to cause the sun in the sky to go back 10 steps on these stairs. Now, the stairs were actually an ancient clock that they used, and they could watch the way the sun moved on those steps, and that would give them an orientation of time. And God essentially says, hey, look, I'm going to move the hands of time on your biological clock back these 10 steps to represent 10 years. I'm going to give you more time, Hezekiah. God, using cosmic events to indicate something he's doing down here on earth. We could go back into the Gospels and go to the end of the story of Jesus, right? Jesus' story begins with this cosmological event, with the star appearing, whatever that might be in the sky. But Jesus' life also ends with a cosmological event. Because what, what happens when Jesus is hanging on the cross? Anybody remember? The sun goes dark, right? The sun goes dark. Midday. Midday and the sun goes dark as Jesus bears the sins of the world. Jesus' own life is bookended by these, these phenomenal events in the sky with God using the stars, using the heavenly bodies to indicate his divine activity. And I think as we consider those three elements, right, those three elements of how the ancients used stars as a means of telling time, as a means of navigation, and as evidence of divine activity. I think all three are present in the story of the Star of Bethlehem. That all three of those aforementioned purposes, the telling of time, an orientation of where they were and where they needed to go, and divine activity, all three are present here in Matthew chapter 2. First, the star served as a sign of the times, right? Look, at, look again at your Bible in Matthew chapter 2, verse 2. It says, the Magi come in, it's the time of King Herod, and the Magi come and they say, where is the one who has been born, the King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. They, they saw the star as an indication that the time of the Messiah had come. That the time was perfect. There was a sign of what was going on. Yes, King Herod was sitting on the throne, serving as the king of Judea. But he was just a placeholder. The true king had arrived and was on the scene. The time of King Jesus had come. They were able to read that. They were able to look at the stars and know that a king was born. They asked, where is the one who has been born? Someone's been born. Is that not crazy to you? Like, I couldn't even guess that. I couldn't make that up in my wildest dreams. Hey, there's a comet. Someone just had a kid. <laughs> right? I, I mean, and honestly, if we're being real, 
that's more than just like a lucky guess because you could say that just about any time and you're going to be accurate most of the time. I mean, how many millions of people are born all the time, Courtney? Like I could say, oh, it's 10, 13, 48. Someone just had a kid, you know? And just guessing, I could probably find something to match up with that, but this is a particular kid. This isn't just some baby that was born somewhere as as amazing as that was. This is a child that is oriented with something specific that God has promised. The time of the Messiah, the promised king, had come. Second, we see that the star served as the heavenly GPS to lead the Magi from where they were to where they needed to be. In the 1920s, a British scholar by the name of E.F.F. Bishop paid a visit to a Bedouin tribe by the name of Al-Kokabani, Al-Kokabani, in the Jordanian desert. In English, the name of that tribe translates to those who study slash follow planets, Al-Kokabani. Bishop one time while doing research with this Jordanian tribe, asked the tribal elders the significance of their name. They noted that they got their name, they received their name, because their ancestors had traveled west following celestial bodies to find and pay homage to the prophet Jesus when he was born. Does that not blow your mind? That there are actually people stomping around in the Jordanian desert, people who would have been east, in the east, right? They were in the east. That's what it means. When it says we saw his star rising in the east, it means we were sitting and hanging out in the east, and we saw the star rise, and we were like, hey, we need, we need to go west and see what's going on here. They were in the east. It says they saw the star rise. This tribe This tribe that's stomping around for thousands of years has carried in their name evidence of the reality of the birth of Jesus. The truth is that this tribe is now Muslim, but even now, even now, their name connects them to the coming of Christ. It's mind-blowing that this tribe is known by being people who see stars and assess things that are going on on the earth and can follow those stars to where they need to be. The definitive legacy of this tribe is that they followed the star to Jesus. We could stop there and that could be our message. May that be the definitive legacy of our lives. That we search the world for signs of God's moving and for the power and presence of Christ. And we do whatever we can. We put our lives on hold in order to follow the stars to the Savior. Finally, we see that the star served notice that God was doing something substantial on the earth. The intentions and actions of the Magi demonstrated that they recognized divine activity. Though not Jews themselves, they recognized the action of the Hebrew God in the sky and realized that he'd done something on the earth. And the star in the sky over Bethlehem led them to something far more significant down on earth. The incarnation of God in the flesh. It wasn't just the king of the Jews that they were seeking and finding It was the very God of creation. You see, the stars in the sky 
point to something far more significant. The stars in the sky point to something far more significant. As as a matter of fact, all stars serve as reminders of the power and presence of God in the world. Not just ones that that pop into the sky randomly announcing some special happening. The fact that there is the order in the universe and the predictability in the universe and everything cycles just on time and just as it needs to be and that the earth is just the, the perfect amount of space that it needs to be from the sun in order for us to survive and, and that the, the moon does what it needs to do with the tides in order that the waters might move as they need to move on the earth. These are all manifestations of God's hand and God's power and presence. It's not just the spectacular, supernatural, out of the ordinary things that happen in the sky that remind us that God is God and that God is working on the earth. The order of the universe itself declares the glory of God. Is that not what it says? Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the earth. Or Romans 1.20. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Creation itself declares God's power and presence. And not just, not just the special star that came up at Christmas, not just the sun moving back in 10 steps, as amazing as that is, not God just stopping the, st- the sun in the sky. That, that's amazing evidence of his power and presence. But the, the wonder of the universe itself, the intricacies of, of the movements of the planets and the stars and the turning of the earth and, and the cycles and the seasons, all of these things point to the glory of God. They are all lights that shine and sparkle. And, and though silent, they reflect a greater light. The existence of creator God, his activity in our world, God is not absent in our world. God is continuing to move and all things move and live and have their being because he wills it and because in his power and present, power and, and, and perfect will, he is with us. Creation continually provides evidence of God's existence and activity among us. But how do we read that? How do, how do we come to a point where we can see beyond the evidence that, that some creator, that some divine being is moving? And how do, we, how do we distill that down to saying, this isn't just a God, this is that God? Well, how did, how did the wise men do it? I, I submit to you that understanding scripture enables us to orient our hearts and minds towards the Christ. Understanding scripture enables us to orient our hearts and minds 
towards Christ. It, it, it allows us to move bet, be, between or from just some happening in the world, some random happening in the universe, some amazing thing in the cosmos to a very specific understanding that the God of the Bible has moved. If we want to know the God of the Bible has moved, we need to know the Bible of the God. The Magi knew the stars, but they also st- understood scriptures, and that knowledge led them to Jesus. Now, numerous theories exist as to what quote unquote star the Magi saw. Some believe that it was a conjunction of Jupiter, Saturn, and Pisces. And Pisces is a constellation that is often connected with the Hebrew people. Some believe that it was a supernova, that a star somewhere out in the heavens exploded, giving off this amazingly bright light for a period of time. Some believe that it was just a supernatural phenomenon, that God perhaps had put a special star in the sky just for this occasion. And others still believe that it was an angel, that what they saw and believed was this different star, was actually an angel. And and given the fact that the star moves in certain ways in the text, they believe that God just had the angel move, leading the wise men to where they needed to be. Interestingly enough, there is evidence from uh, estimated near the date of Jesus' birth which consequently was not in December, right? You do know that, that almost nobody believes that Jesus was born in December. More than likely, he was a spring baby. And we worship Christmas in December, not, yes, in part because of Catholic syncretism, but also because of the coming of the light of, of life. When is the darkest day on our calendar? December 21st. When does the light of life come? When do we celebrate it? As the light begins to become greater and days become longer. It is, it is just as it's always been throughout the ages. We align our holidays with the seasons and what's going on. And what better time to celebrate the coming of the light of life than when we most need the light. But I digress. There are actual, there's actual evidence near that point to several of these options. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't really care which it was. Doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to me. I do know, however, that whatever cosmological event took place at the time, the Magi connected it to an obscure prophecy in Old Test- the Old Testament. In Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, it says this I see him now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. Now, you might ask yourself, why would these people have this prophecy that comes from the book of Numbers? Well, because if we were to go back and look at the prophecy, we would recognize that the prophecy does not come from a Hebrew prophet. The prophet actually comes from Balaam, who had been hired to come and curse the people of God. But as Balaam stood on the mountain, called and paid to to curse the people of God, God himself spoke to Balaam and said, I don't think so, son. These are my people. So Balaam kept blessing them and cursing the people of the land. Well, where does that land happen to be? The Jordanian desert. 
So these people have record of this prophecy. They've read it. They've studied it. And given the reality of what we know about the Zoroastrians, they'd probably studied many religious books. But they somehow find this one verse, this one obscure verse in the middle of the book of Numbers. How many of you, other than hearing it in a Christmas sermon, have, have ever thought of that passage? Oh, Numbers 24. Even reading through this text, any of you made connections from Matthew chapter 2 to Numbers 24? Anybody? I mean, if you did, you're better than me. Because until about two years ago, I had no idea that verse existed. Somehow, these Bedouins knew that it existed, and not only did they know it existed, but they were keenly aware enough to what that said and the reality of happenings in the world that some random light appears in the sky, and they're like, that's it. That, that's this. We better go check it out. Something has happened in Judea. A king has been born. I see him now. I behold him. He's not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. There are three elements in that prophecy, and all three elements of the prophecy are found in verse 2 of Matthew 2. They are looking for a king, a scepter, that would, quote, rise out of Israel, that would be identified not just by, but as the star, the great light. You know what's interesting to me is that here you have these heathen religious people from out in the desert that make this connection. But notice what, what's going on with the, the religious leaders of the Jewish community. I mean, these people come and they go to Jerusalem, which if you're looking for a king in Judea, is that not the natural place to go? And they go and they ask, hey, where, where's this king at? We, we see the star that came. Surely you know about this. Your king has been born. Do you know where he is? And it says that Herod and all of Jerusalem were, were totally bothered by this. So what does King Herod do? He has to call together his religious leaders and his priests and those who should have been watching the signs. Now what's interesting is that once they hear about these wise men, these magi, who have seen this and followed the star, they're like, oh yeah, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. The Bible clearly says in Bethlehem this is where he's going to be born. But note that up to the point where they were called in, they were just hanging out at home. Nothing special was going on. Nothing to see here. Totally. They, they, they had all of the religious knowledge. They had the understanding of what the Bible said. They knew it, but they did not have the application. True wisdom is, isn't just found in knowing God's word. But in knowing how that truth interfaces with our daily lives and allowing it to lead us to Jesus. That's what made the wise men wise and made the religious of leaders of the day suckers. And there's a very thin line between the two for you and I today. We see two different responses even in the text. The truth is we can even look at our world today and see this to be true. That Christ's presence has a way of inspiring hostility and rejection or humility and acceptance. Christ's presence has a way of inspiring hostility and rejection or humility and acceptance. Now, according to the text, what was the intent of the Magi, the wise men? Hey, we've seen a star. We know this king was born, and we, we've come to worship him. 
Now, the Magi, interestingly enough, didn't come to Jesus because of what he could give them. They came because of who he was and what he represented. They came to be a part of what God was doing. They came to to bow before him and to submit to his, his regal rule and reign, his right to rule in that region. Do you and I come to Jesus the same way? When we come to Christ, do we come to him with humility? Do we come to him with submission? Do we come to him with that which is of great worth to us to offer it to him? Or, or do we come to him in order to grasp hold of his power? And hope that we can maneuver and manipulate to get what we want. It's uncertain whether the Magi understood the divinity of Christ. Their offerings were in the form of tribute that would have been given to another ruler or someone of great power. But given their understanding of the obscure truths of God's word, it is not altogether implausible that they understood the other texts and knew the full truth of Jesus. The truly wise men in the text oriented their lives toward the star, not in order that they might find the fulfillment of the promise, in order that they might find the fulfillment of the prophet promise of which it spoke, Jesus the Messiah. Now we see the other response in Herod and the people who should have been most excited about Christ's coming. It says they were greatly disturbed by this news. But what does Herod claim to the wise men? Hey, you know what? You go find him and come back and tell me. And I'm going to go worship him too. We can actually look. I didn't read it all because it's depressing. But if you continue reading in verses 13 and following, we see that the wise men take an obscure route back so that they don't have to cross paths with Herod. That Herod, on finding out that he'd been duped, just decides that he's going to kill every baby two and under. Every baby boy two and under is done. See, what Herod's actions indicate to us is that Herod clearly was not interested in worshiping Jesus. Herod was interested in in preserving his own power and priorities. Herod was, was, was interested in making sure that nothing obscured what he wanted in life. Well, I think the outcries about people trying to remove Christ from Christmas are overstated. Well, it's it's evident in our graphic, right? That the X in Christmas, we talked about it. It's not a cancellation or removal of Christ. It it points back to an old an old Greek letter. It's the Chi and the Cairo. It is a letter, the first letter of the name of Christ. And it's always been historically a letter that that symbolize the name of Jesus. And for us, it is the X that marks the treasure that is Jesus. But even I have to admit that while I don't think that the the battle to remove Christ from Christmas is as stark as what we'd like to say it is, it's undeniable that we live in a time where seeking and submitting to Jesus is not in vogue. There is an undercurrent in our culture that is seeking to, if not eliminate Jesus from public dialogue, to at least soften him, to make him less offensive and intrusive to the world around us. It's not just a Christmas issue. It's an everyday issue. 
And can we just be honest with one another that the great threat, the greatest threat to Christ in Christmas and Christ in the lives and, and, and in the happenings in the world does not come from the world outside the walls of the church, but from the people that are within it. People, people aren't going to stop us. They, they can take our lives. That's happened historically. That's not a great threat to us right now. But even in that, we, we can't be inconvenienced to a, adapt our lives. That's the great thing about the wise men, right? They still had lives. They went back home. They had flocks. They had people. They had things that they had to take care of. But they totally unseated their lives for we don't know how long to follow a star so that they could see what God had done. We can't be inconvenienced weekly to come to church. Now, I get that you're sitting in here right now, but let's call it what it is. We love to point out there and say this is the greatest. The greatest issues are out there, but, but we need to worry about what we control, and that is us. Are we willing to orient our lives towards Jesus? Are we studying God's word so that we don't just see signs in the world and miss the truths of what God is doing? Are we willing to follow the quote-unquote stars that God brings into our lives so that the light of life might shine brightly to us and through us? Are we ready to reorient and reorganize our lives in deference to and submission to Jesus? To say that Jesus was more substantial or significant than the star that announced his arrival is a gross understatement. He is the promised Messiah and Savior of the world. But he is the creator of the world, the keeper of the stars. All the stars shine at his pleasure and as a result of his command, as a result of his command, creation itself worships the King of kings and the Lord of lords, pointing to his power and glory. But the interesting thing about the star of Christmas is it points back to the earth, reminding us that God came down, condescended, became one of us to live with us that he might save us. It reminds us that God, though this cosmic power, is involved in our everyday existences. Are we seeking him as he might be found? The truly wise will always seek Jesus. We, like the wise magi, will we, like the wise magi, diligently study God's word so that we can understand to whom the stars are pointing? Will we submit to and follow his lead in our lives? Or will we, like Herod, see Christ as a threat to our desires and our way of life? seeking to silence or soften his voice in our lives so that we might continue on our own merry way. We see it play out in multiple ways, even in the celebration of the Christmas holiday. It's easy to make it all about us, what we want, what we think we deserve, what we think we should get to expect Peter, people to, to cater to our desires and needs. This Christmas, however, I hope that you take a moment to look up at the stars in the sky to take in the glory of God. And I hope that you see the stars adorning trees and that you're reminded of the creator who loved you so much to come down to not just be God for you, but to be God with you.
And I pray that you will worship the Christ whose birth they celebrate. The heavens declare the glory of God, ultimately pointing us to the light of life, Jesus the Christ. Father God, I thank you so much for your goodness and your grace to us. I thank you for your great love for us. God, I pray that you would continue to be with us as we go through this Christmas season, Lord, that you would remind us that the light of life has come, that as we look and we see the the twinkling lights and the stars and the tree, that we will be reminded of the star of Bethlehem and the wise magi that sought you out to worship you, Lord. May we ourselves seek you, find you, and worship you in the days ahead as you deserve. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy and love. Pray that you would reveal yourself to us in wonderful ways as we follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.